Hello and welcome to the New Franklin Assembly podcast. We're so glad that you chose to join us today. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today, Pastor James will be continuing his sermon series entitled Miracle Moms. The title of today's sermon is Mom's Dream Come True. Well, I want to finish up today our sermon series that I started in on Mother's Day, and we've been calling it Miracle Moms, uh, Miracle Moms, um, but knowing that it was leading up to Pentecost Sunday, today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, I've chosen a topic that talked about a couple of moms in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 4. But more importantly, there were two moms that experienced the anointing of God's Holy Spirit upon their lives. Uh, and today's Pentecost Sunday, and so we're going to look at, continue to look at the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon the church. The first mom we looked at in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, uh, needed a miracle, and she knew exactly where to go to find one. She was a widow of a former prophet. And so when she needed a miracle, she went to Elisha, the prophet of God. Elisha was the prophet of God that received a double portion anointing from God. Now that word anointing, again, simply refers to the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit come upon an individual, a person's life. And so two weeks ago, we established that when looking at this portion of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 4, that these two moms... Uh, we need to keep, uh, when we're looking at this portion of Scripture and these two moms, we need to keep a certain a couple of things in mind. First, Elisha represents the, the Holy Spirit's anointing that God makes available to us today, to his church. Elisha represents the power of God poured out upon his people. And the two moms represent what we must do to experience or to attract, to draw that power to our lives, to keep it active in our lives. And so again, the first mom needed a miracle in her life and knew exactly where to go to get one. She was very familiar with God's anointing because of the anointing that God had placed on her late husband. Uh, she was very familiar with uh, the prophetic, with, the, with, with, the, uh, uh, with the God's children and how God moved. And so <clears throat> when she was desperate for a miracle in her life, she goes to Elisha uh, for her miracle. Again, Elisha represented the power of God at work. The second woman that we began to look at in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 4, she wasn't so much, she wasn't familiar with the anointing of God. She wasn't familiar with the prophetic. She wasn't familiar with the, the power of God, or the, especially this man, Elisha. And so it was all new to her. All she knows is that she saw this man and she knew there was something different about him. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 9, she says this, She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. She didn't know how to explain it except to explain it by, hey, he's different. He's a holy man of God. In other words, the anointing, the difference between what she sees in Elisha and what she sees in the religious system of, the, of her day was the anointing of God, the power of God at work in his life. The anointing of God was evident in everything Elisha did. It was, it was evident in the words he spoke, in the miracles he performed, in the manner, in the way he carried himself, the manner in which he carried, every aspect of his life. And this needs to be the difference that the world sees in us today. They may not know how to explain it. There's something different about that person. What is it about that person? They may be very familiar with the church and the, and, and the doctrines of the church. They may be very familiar with Christianity as a whole. But then there's something about that person. There's something about this church. And what's the difference? It's the anointing of God. It's the power of God at work in your life. This needs to be the difference the world sees in us today. The only thing, think about this, the only thing that makes the church different than any other community organization in our world today is what? It's the power of God at work. If the power of God is not at work in the church, then we're no better than any community organization looking to do good in this world. 
And there's some good organizations. They do good in this world. A lot of churches, they do good in, this, in, our, in their communities. But unless the power of God is evident, we're no different than any other good community organization. You see, status quo religion is powerless. We've talked about that word status quo. Status quo religion is powerless. And unfortunately, much of today's church, churches, I should say, have settled for the status quo. We've become comfortable, in other words, with the way things are. We've become satisfied with life as we know it, the life we're living, and the church we're attending, and it's just been status quo. It's been routine. And the only time we become desperate for more of God, the only time we become desperate for the power of God in our lives is when we need a miracle. Kind of like the first lady, we, the first mom we looked at. She was very familiar with the, the power of God, the anointing of God, but only became desperate for more of God when, what? when she needed a miracle for herself. You see, the second woman, however, she was a well-to-do woman. She didn't need anything for herself. She was desperate for more of God, not for anything that she needed, but because she wanted it for her community. She was wanted to bless this man of God because she saw how this man of God blessed the community, how the power of God worked in him and it benefited him. So it was a different perspective these two moms come from. Could this be the difference that we see in today's church, the difference between these two moms? Are we like the first mom who only becomes who only became desperate for God when things got really bad in our lives? Or are we like the second mom who never really asked for Elisha? Think about this. The second mom never, never asked Elisha for anything for herself. Matter of fact, she gave of herself to the, to, to the prophet, to the, to the anointed. She was the, only, she was the one who always gave to Elisha, in other words didn't ask for a thing. She wanted the power of God for her community. And so this giving of herself allowed the power of God to continually flow to her community. But today we'll also see that the power of God that she wanted for her community also touched her life as well. So the title to this sermon series is Miracle Moms. We'll finish that up today. But the title, the title to today's message is Mom's Dream Come True. Mom's Dream Come True. I want to pick up the story today where we left off last week when talking about this Shunammite woman, the second woman we looked at. Uh, and I want to read it in its con- uh, a couple of different portions of the Scripture. I want to finish the story. So let's read verses 14 through 21, and then in a little bit we'll finish it up. Um, uh, verse 14, 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 14, it says this, What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, Call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, You will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day when he went out to... Well, let's let's stop. I'm sorry. Let's let's stop there for a minute. Let's stop at 17. Uh, And then we'll read the the second part in a little bit. So going back to to where we left off last week, we saw that this well-to-do woman never asked Elisha for anything. Every time Elisha was in her, that region, she, he would go to her home for dinner. Uh, this became so frequent that this woman and her husband decided to put an extension on their house so that every time he would stay, he could stay with them and camp out there. And so that's what was happening. So now there was a lot that this woman did for Elisha. There was a lot that this woman did to attract the power of God into her community. So Elisha has a conversation with his servant. He says, we're here a lot. This lady has given so much to us. What can be done for her now? And he's asking his servant Gehazi. And so 
we read the response. Again, verse 14, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. Guys, he said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha called her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway about this time next year. Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. And it was her response that really caught my attention. She goes, no, my Lord. She objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. Think about that. Why do you think this woman responded the way she did to Elisha's statement? No, my Lord, don't mislead me. It's as if she didn't want to believe that this could actually happen. See, I believe she, it wasn't that she didn't want a son, you see. I believe that she had given up on the dream of having a son. I believe that at one point in her life, her heart's desire was to have a son. But how many times are you disappointed when it doesn't happen before you just give up hoping for it, wanting it? The pain of discovering that she wasn't pregnant month after month after month brought her to the point of giving up on her dream. She stopped hoping for a child because it was too painful when it didn't take place, when it didn't happen. She got to the point where month after month she tried not to think about it anymore. She forced herself to stop hoping for it. She had become content. She had settled in to the status quo, right? See, sometimes the status quo isn't something you initially want for your life. It's just something that you, it, it, it's less painful than moving on, moving forward. Sometimes the status, status quo is just kind of thrust upon us, like this woman. Elisha asks, what can be done for her? You see, once the anointing of God is evident in a person's life, once the anointing of God is evident in a church's life, the status quo will change. There's no choice. That's what the Holy Spirit does, whether you want it to or not, whether you expect it to or not. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings new life, brings new things, new dreams. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We cannot continually... to. We cannot continually ask God for a fresh outpouring of His Holy Spirit and expect things to stay the same. We don't need the Holy Spirit to keep things the same structurally and otherwise, you see, our life, because we've developed what we need to keep things the same. God wants to bring us continually to new levels of life and faith and ministry. He wants to continually to reach lost souls. He wants us to continually advance his kingdom, which means there needs to be a fresh anointing upon us as we go forward. And so we cannot continually ask for that fresh anointing if we're not willing to move forward, if we're not willing to, to do new things. Last week we saw how this woman urged the anointing to come upon her life, that she prepared con continually a, a meal to continually welcome the anointing into her life. And then it got to the point where she sacrificed so the anointing would reside in her home. She spent money and, and, and resources to build this home. She sacrificed so that the anointing would just re reside in her life. She did this so that her community would be blessed by God. But the anointing of God would also break the status quo in her own life, not just in her community. And so point number one is this. The anointing breaks the status quo by restoring our ability to dream dreams. The anointing restores our ability to dream dreams. God's people need to start dreaming dreams again. A dream is simply what? It's simply a picture in your mind of something you would like to see become a reality. But it's more than that. It's a picture in your mind of something you work hard to accomplish. Something in your mind that consumes your every thought. It's a picture in your mind of something that determines the decisions you make in life. But the longer a dream 
doesn't come true, the easier it is to settle then in the status quo. Easy, however, is not the kind of life that God calls us to live. What dreams have you stopped dreaming for? The dream of an unsaved loved one coming to Christ, perhaps. The dream of protection and provision for you and your family. The dream of, a, of healing in your body. God is the God of endless dreams. He's the God of endless promises. You can substitute that word promise. We'll, talk, we'll use the word dream here today because of the context. But God is the God of endless promises. What dream has the church stopped dreaming for? The dream of multitudes coming to Christ, not just one or two here and there every once in a while. The dream of multitudes coming. That's what we see on the day of Pentecost, right? When we look at the first day of Pentecost that came to the church. The dream of all manner of sickness being healed at our altars. The dream of lives, young and old, being touched and changed and growing strong in the faith. That list can go on and on. What dreams are we dreaming for, for our church? What dreams are we dreaming for, for our community? I meet with a group of people once a month from this church that we've called the Vision Team. Sunday nights, on the third Sunday night of the month, we meet in the FAC. And we've been working together, thinking out loud, brainstorming, coming up with strategies, praying for ways that we can reach the next level. What is God asking of us? How can we better reach our community? And we talk about this, we talk about that, we come up with ideas, and we strategize. But we have decided as a group, there is two, four, six, eight, there's eight of us or ten of us, eight or ten of us, we've decided to go through a year-long training that the Pennsylvania-Delaware District uh, offers. And it's a training, again, it's a year-long. We meet four times, different, all-day Saturday. When I say all-day, we, we meet, we start on a Saturday morning at, uh, I think, 8 o'clock we get there, and we don't leave till 4 or 5. Uh, and it's a, an intense, long day of training. And we have been going through this training to help us reach the next level in ministry. We meet with the district uh, officials. We meet with other churches in our section and, and in our district once a quarter. And one of our homework assignments from last retreat, now next, uh, next week, a couple of weeks we meet, no, I'm sorry, about three, three more weeks we meet again and we have to turn in our homework assignments. But one of the homework assignments we've had that we've been working really hard on these past few weeks is five dream statements. We've been asked to come up with five dream statements uh, that have to do with the, the five uh, foundational pillars of the church. In Acts chapter 2, it's called the Acts 2 journey. In Acts chapter 2, we read about five foundational pillars of the church. Fellowship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, service to God, right? Or worship. And here is what your vision team has come up with. Now, we haven't handed this homework assignment up, and I wasn't planning on reading these statements to you because it's kind of a working project, uh, work in progress. But, you know, we were talking about dreams, and how can I go talk about that without telling you what we've been working on. And these dream statements all start with, I dream of a church, I dream of a church. And let me read them to you. Again, we haven't heard, handed this assignment in yet, so we're going to work through this some more. It says, I dream of a church where fellowship is personal, inclusive, and inviting. This is what the vision team has come up with pretty good, I think, when it comes to fellowship. Where fellowship is personal, inclusive, and inviting. I dream of a church where discipleship is a foundational ministry focused on the multiplication of God's kingdom. It's a pretty good dream statement. I dream, did we, were we able to put it? Yeah, I, I, I forgot. I did put it up there. Pretty good dream statement for discipleship. 
The third one, I dream of a church that is willing to discover, develop, and execute their gifts, talents, and abilities to further God's kingdom. That goes along with the, with the service to God, what we do for God. You see, we need to discover our God-given gifts. We need to develop our God-given gifts, and then we need to implement them, execute them. I dream of a church that urgently and passionately, I love those two words, I dream of a church that urgently and passionately pursues the lost. It's evangelism. And finally, with worship, I dream of a church where worship is biblical, authentic, I'm sorry, where, is, where worship is a biblical, authentic experience that leads us into God's presence. Listen, we worked long and hard for this. This is now three months, three or four months that we've been working on this since the last retreat that we went on, the last training. And I'm proud of those guys. They worked real hard. It's not as easy as you think. This was our homework assignment that we have yet to turn in. We, need, we meet next month now to, 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 to move on from this and to meet again with the district and with the others and, and, and to, to find out what's next. There's a lot of thought and prayer that went into this. As a church, we have been praying for a fresh outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. We have been praying for a fresh anointing to come upon what we do. Well, we're starting to see that happen. We're starting to dream again. That's awesome. The status quo, think about this. The status quo will always remove dreams from our lives. Because we are where we are and we like where we are and we're not looking to change where we are. So it removes the dreams from us. But the anointing restores our ability to dream again. It restores the dreams. Point number two. Again, the anointing breaks the status quo by restoring our ability to dream dreams. Number two is by restoring our ability to give birth to those dreams. It's one thing to dream them. It's another thing to give birth to them, to see them come about. 2 Kings 4.17 But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. In other words, the anointing of God not only restores our desire to give birth, our dream of a promise, it restores our ability to actually give birth, the ability to reach our promise. Dreams don't come true simply because we dream them. Dreams don't come true simply because we desire them to come true. Dreams don't come true simply because God gave us the dream. Dreams come true because we work hard at reaching them. The birthing process is a difficult one. That's why it's called labor. We can't do it, though, without the Holy Spirit's help. Perhaps that's why many people in many churches today have stopped dreaming in the first place. Because we have tried to reach our dreams without the Holy Spirit at work. I see that a lot in churches. Because we have tried to make our dreams come true using only our gifts and talents and abilities without the anointing of God upon them. We, we try to administrate our way to growth and we try to lead our way to, a, to, to, to advancement. Or to, and God says, well, but you've, you, you, you've taken me out of the equation. You see... Well, that's not what it's, church is about. This, doing, doing it this way, it, it won't get the job done. We cannot pursue our dreams without first pursuing the power of God upon our lives. But there is something else that we need to understand about the anointing of God. The anointing doesn't provide us the power of God to do what we want to do. The anointing of God brings the power of God upon us when we do what God wants us to do. Did you catch that? You see, we might be praying something, God, may your power come upon what we're doing here today. And God is up there thinking, well, I don't want you to be doing that in the first place, so why would I give you the power to do it? 
And so are we doing what God's called us to do? Our vision team has come up with these I dream statements. We believe they are the dreams. They are part of the vision that God has given us as a church. And in the days and in the months ahead, we will work and pray and think hard about about how God would have us to accomplish those things. We will begin asking ourselves some questions. What are we doing that we should keep on doing? I think there's probably good number of things that we need to keep on doing. Why? Because we see God's anointing upon what we're doing. Why would we stop doing it? The anointing of God is upon it. Then we need to ask ourselves another question. What are we doing that we should stop doing? How do we know that we should stop doing it? Because the anointing of God is not on it. We're doing it because we're just doing it. And then there's one more question we need to ask. What are we not doing that we need to start doing that God wants to anoint You see, that's hard work. Are we leaving the Holy Spirit out? No, we're asking God what his anointing is on, and and we want to do that. You see, sometimes it's not a matter of praying that God would anoint the things that we're doing. Sometimes it's a matter of us doing what God is anointing. And this applies to our personal lives as well. If we want the power of God to work in our individual lives, then perhaps we need to ask questions like this. What am I doing that I should be doing more of? What am I doing that I should stop doing? What am I not doing that God is asking me to do? You see, and that's hard to do. It's easy to ask the question, and then it's hard to actually begin doing them. Giving birth is hard work. Again, that's why it's called labor. The process of giving birth is not fun. But the joy that comes once the dream is, is there, once the dream is birthed, is just overwhelming. Point number three, the anointing breaks the status quo. Again, by restoring our ability to dream dreams, by restoring our ability to give birth to those dreams, And number three, by restoring stolen dreams. Sometimes we don't dream again because every time we have a dream, every time we have something we work hard for and and desire, all of a sudden it seems like the enemy stole it or something happened and and it's died and we can never reach it. But the Holy Spirit doesn't only give dreams. The Holy Spirit doesn't only give us the ability to reach dreams, but it restores the dreams that perhaps... We gave up on that the enemy has stolen. Let's read the rest of that story with this Shunammite woman. She's probably one of my favorite characters. Elisha is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, especially my favorite prophet. And this Shunammite woman is really another one of my favorites within this story. Uh, let's read verses. Um, where are we? 18, uh, and we'll go through 37. We'll read the, the rest of the story. Uh, It says, the child grew up, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed. uh, She laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you to. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in distress... The man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is fine, she said to Gehazi. When she reached the man of God, Elisha, at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. 
Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak in to your belt, take my staff in your hands and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy is not awakened. I've done all I can. It's just not happening. I've done what you told me to do. Verse 32, When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. Notice that he said, dead on his couch. This was Elisha's couch that was placed in that new room that was built for him. He went in, shut the door, and on two of them, I'm sorry, he went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, she said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. There is a lot to this story. There's a lot of details that I can go into, but I won't do that today. But think, read this story on your own and and chew on some of these things. There's a lot there. But here's a woman who wanted more of God in her life. Not for selfish reasons, but for her community. Here's a woman who wanted to bless this man of God. She never asked anything from him. She just simply gave of herself. And even though she never mentioned it to anybody, God knew her heart. God knew that she had given up on a dream, the dream of a son, long ago. And so she gets pregnant. She begins raising this promised son. He's at least, I guess, five or six years old because he comes, when he gets this headache, he runs to his dad and says, my head, my head, he's able to talk, he's able to run. So it's several years later when this happens. And then the son dies. Has something like this ever happened to you? Not literally a, a child passing away. Maybe, maybe that has happened. But in other words, you do everything right. You have given of yourself unselfishly to your boss, to your job, to your family, to your spouse, to your friends, to your church, to your community. You work hard for what you have. You work hard at blessing others and helping them. You begin living your best life. You begin experiencing the blessings and the promises of God. You serve God. You honor Him in everything you do. You've done everything right, as much as you can. And all of a sudden, just like that, everything goes wrong. Everything goes bad. Everything that was so right now suddenly becomes so wrong. Everything that brought so much joy is now bringing so much pain. Has God's dream for your life ever died? The dream of happily ever after, perhaps? Maybe you're here and your marriage is struggling. It's not the happily ever after you thought. The dream of till death do you part. The dream of godly children and grandchildren who all serve the Lord. The dream of financial freedom. The dream of a country that fights for Christian values and the American dream. The dream of a church where peace and joy and unity reign supreme. Sometimes God's dreams die, so it seems. Sometimes what God has blessed is quickly taken away. Sometimes joy does turn into mourning. And most of the time when this happens, God does not tell us why it happens. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Even Elisha wasn't told why this happened. Did you catch it when we read it? Verse 27, 
2 Kings 4.27, when she reached the man of God at the mountains, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Well, I don't know why God allowed this worldwide pandemic to come. The world was doing really well before this pandemic hit. The economy was the best in, a, in our history. And this pandemic almost instantly stopped it all. Why? I don't know why God allowed the election to go the way it was. The endless wars had come to an end. Israel was de- being defended like no other time before. Well, it all seemed to stop in the recent months. I don't know why. God allows his people to walk through difficult valleys. And I don't know why all the time. One day everything is fine, and the next day the doctor's report shocks everyone. One day you're paying the bills, going to work, you're living your life, and the next day you're filing for unemployment. One day you're planning holiday meals with your family, and the next day you're planning a funeral. It's happened several times, three times in, in as many months here at our church. Elisha said, she's in bitter distress, but has hidden it from me and has not told me why. God sometimes allows bitter distress to come to his people, and he doesn't tell us why. But here's the good news. Regardless of why, he still has a plan. His dream doesn't change because we go through distress. His promises don't change. His word doesn't change because of the road we have to travel. The plan of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy what God has given to us, the dreams and the promises of God. But the enemy continually, always, wants to steal and kill and destroy what God wants to do. And sometimes he succeeds for a season. Sometimes it seemingly seems like he won the battle. But God is the God of restoration, isn't he? He restores what the enemy has taken. But the restoration process is a very interesting one. Let's look at it in this scripture. First, she places her dead son's body on Elisha's bed and then runs to go get Elisha. Again, Elisha represents the anointing of God, the power of God at work. And so the first thing we need to do when hardships grip our lives and we're tempted to ask God why, the first thing we need to do is give it to God. She placed the dead boy on the bed where Elisha slept and then ran to get Elisha. Now allow me to let you in on a little secret. I don't think it's that much of a secret, but sometimes it seems as though it is. It's a lot easier to give things over to God when you have never taken ownership of them in the first place. Let me me say this again. It's easier to give things over to God when you've never taken ownership of them in the first place. My life is not my own. I live for him. Therefore, what happens to me is God's business, not mine. If I am serving him, and I have to go through a struggle and a hardship, I have the confidence, hey, this is not my problem, God, this is yours. If sickness keeps me from doing what God is calling me to do, well, God, I either got to stop doing it or you got to heal me. And I could just give it over to God. Easier said than done, right? Of course. What's harder than that? My wife and my children. I use that word, my. My wife, my children, they're more gods than mine. See, I worry less about them knowing that God cares for them more than I could ever care for them. And I care for them more than anyone else on the planet. 
I'll be honest, it's harder for me to trust God with them than it is for me. I don't sometimes care what happens to me as much as I care about what happens to them because I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to go through hardship and struggle. Bring it on me, God. Spare them. And it becomes harder for me to give it over to God because I want to fix things. I want to change things. I want to do something that spares them the pain. Give it over to God. This country was dedicated at its founding to God and God's ways. It belongs to Him. I have responsibilities as a citizen, and I'll do my part, but ultimately, I have to trust God in what I see taking place around me. This church, it's God's, not mine or anyone else's. The Bible says that He will build His church in a way where the gates of hell will not prevail. So though I may not agree with what's taking place, I must ultimately trust Him and give it to God. Give it to God. How do we do that? You want a lesson on letting go? You know the phrase, let let go and let God? You want to practice that? Go bowling. You ever go bowling? Everyone knows bowling? Have you ever watched the amateur? Professionals won't do this. But the amateur. Get the bowling ball, get, check the weight, get the perfect ball. Mark yourself perfectly on the... On the you, know, you look at this, you look at that, and you be so careful, so careful. And then you let it go, you're trying to get the perfect form, and now you're like this... Ah! Try doing this. Be so careful. Pick the right ball. Mark your feet. Look at the arrows. Look at the pins. Mark it. Go like this. And walk away. Can you ever let go of the ball and really just let go of it? No, you want to see what happens. Learn to let go. Whatever happens, it's not going to change whether you watch it or not. Spare yourself the pain of that 10 seconds, whatever it is. She placed the dead boy on Elisha's bed and went to get Elisha. Basically, what I'm saying is this. Sometimes we get in the way of God's restoration process simply because we're not willing to let go, simply because we're holding on too tight. Do you remember how the father responded to what was going on? Classic dad. The boy comes running to his dad, not his mom. He comes running to his dad. Dad, my head, my head, my head. What does he do? Go see your mom. Go see your mother. See? What a guy. Then after the boy dies, the woman comes and says, I need a donkey because I need to go get the man of God to come. And what does he say? It's not the Sabbath. It's not the new moon. It's not time. Leave him alone. Let him let the guy be. You see, his solutions would have stopped any miracle from happening. His solutions would have gotten in the way of God's restoration process. Let's not get in the way of God's restoration process in our lives, or in our church, in our communities. Let's give it to God and trust Him to work it out. The second thing we we need to do when hardships grip our heart and the temptation is to ask God why. The second thing is to rely on the faith we already have. Rely on what we have already established in our lives when it comes to faith. What am I saying? Again, when the boy dies, she places the boy on Elisha's bed. This was the bed that she had brought into that room. This was the room that she had sacrificed greatly to build This was the place where she sacrificed so much of herself in years prior. What would have happened if she never built this room onto her home? What would have happened if she never worked hard at establishing it in the first place? What would she have done if she never urged the anointing to come or prepared for the anointing to remain or sacrificed for the anointing to reside The work we're doing here as a church, 
the praying and the interceding and the planning and the organizing and the strategizing and the implementation. It's not just to bring about the promises of God, it's to protect them and sustain them as we move forward. Because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy it. Why do we do what we do? We do it all because we are daring to believe God will do great things in us and through us. So why should we doubt when things don't seem to go our way? Faith is not faith unless it is tested. Faith is not faith if we never have to rely on it. The work that we're doing here as a church is establishing a strong foundation of faith that will sustain us when the struggles and the hardships come our way. The same can be said of our individual lives when we work hard at establishing a foundation of faith in our lives. We can be sure that faith is going to be tested. When we are diligent in attracting the power of God, the anointing of God upon our lives, we can be confident that our hard work will be put to the test. The enemy is not going to be pleased. The enemy will always look to steal, kill, and destroy what God has done. But when it seems as though he has succeeded in his mission, we must remember what? That he doesn't get the final say. He doesn't get the final say. We can trust God and we can rely on the faith that we have in Christ. Jesus says, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. If you're a true born-again Christian, you have at least that much faith. And then it grows as we grow mature in Him. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9 says this, If you do not stand firm in your faith, it says, then you'll not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Sometimes, when hardships come and struggles come, we're looking for something that maybe we don't already have. God says, no, I've already placed it in you. Rely on the faith that you already have. It's already been established. The work that you put in. This is why we need to work hard at establishing our faith. This is why we need to work hard at establishing a strong foundation here at our church. So in closing, I'll say this. This mom's dream came true, and it remained alive because of how she worked hard at attracting the power of God to her life. It restored her dream of a son. It restored her ability to, to, to give birth to that son, and it restored what the enemy tried to take from her. This is what God wants to do in our lives. This is what God wants to do in our church, in our churches. What dream has God planted in your heart today? Is it the dream, again, of an unsaved loved one coming to Christ? Is it the dream of healing and wholeness coming to the, your body? Is it a dream of your happily ever after? Is it the dream of a community coming to Christ by the multitudes? Let's begin dreaming again. Let's dream again of mighty revivals. Let's dream again of the multitudes coming to Christ, the sick being healed and the captives being set free. Let's dream again of these pews being filled with testimonies of God's power at work, filled with hearts that are passionate for His presence. We're not looking to just draw a crowd. We're looking for hearts that are passionate for His presence, filled with hearts and lives that are hungry for holiness. Let's begin working hard at making these dreams a reality. What is it that God is asking us to do? What is it that we need to give up doing? What is it that we need to embrace? Let's begin standing firm in our faith. There's no need to cower when the enemy comes in like a flood. There's no need to withdraw when the hardships of life want to push us back. There's no need to be like this father who just accepted things the way they are. No, the enemy doesn't have the final say. We look at our country the enemy doesn't have the final say. We look at our community, the enemy doesn't have the final say. We look at the sickness that we're suffering, the struggle that we're going through, the enemy doesn't have the final say. The anointing breaks the status quo. 
by restoring our ability to dream dreams, by restoring our ability to give birth to those dreams, and by restoring the things that the enemy has stolen from us. Let's dream God's dreams. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we do look at, uh, around us and we see distress. Lord God, it's hard for us not to be concerned at the very least at what we see taking place around us in our community, in our country. Lord Jesus, we look at what we're going through individually, the struggles and the hardships, the difficulties, the uncertainties, and it's hard, Lord God, It's hard, Lord Jesus, not to get worried. It's hard not to let fear and doubt and anxieties flood our hearts. Lord, I pray that we give it to you. We lay it on the bed of faith. We lay it at your feet. We ask the power of your Holy Spirit to come, to come, and break the yoke, break the status quo. Restore to your people what the enemy has taken. Restore the joy, restore the peace, restore the unity. Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, we do pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon our lives, upon this church. Lord God, may people see us, whether it's in the supermarkets, in the neighborhoods, at schools, at work. May they drive past this building, but they, may they hear what's going on here and, and, and just feel there is something different. See there's something different in here like this woman saw in Elisha. There's something different about them. There's something different in this place. God, may it be the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. May it be the power of your Holy Spirit at work through us, your anointing that floods our hearts. Oh God, I pray. Lord, as we move forward, I pray as we look to do what you've called us to do, I pray that your will would be made clear to us. That we might do what you've asked us to do. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. We give you glory and honor, and we wait in eager anticipation of seeing those promises come to pass seeing the blessings being poured out, the dreams being birthed. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor in this place. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.